0: Unafraid, so we're calling it. Really, it's a, It's going to focus on the women who came to the empty tomb. And uh, we're going to look at Mark 16, so we'll start with verse number 1. It says that when the Sabbath was passed, and we'll just jump right in here, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint him. And again, Saturday it would have been Saturday evening as the Sabbath ended, that three of the women who had been some of Jesus' most ardent and loyal followers decided to purchase burial spices and fragrant oils so they could properly anoint Jesus' entombed body. And uh, they wanted to give him a a more proper burial. And We'll we'll talk about how Jesus had been buried in a a moment and why that would have made sense. But I think it needs to be acknowledged from the very beginning that one of the things that's clear in the Gospels is the outstanding way in which the women stand out in the moment of Jesus's seemingly uh, despairing end. Uh, we know that his disciples had fled. Uh, his, the, the men that he had entrusted had in, in some ways just um, felt fallen apart. The only one that actually made their way back, it appears, was John, whom is designated, interestingly enough, the, 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 the apostle of love. And it was his love that drew him back, I think. But the women were amazing. Uh, they stayed faithful to the end. And you got to remember what they were watching was, was a pretty ugly thing. And now they had come to, to give him what was to be, in their mind, a final act of devotion because it had happened that the one that they had come to love and believe in, um, that ending that they had witnessed was horrifying. It was devastating. Again, for Jesus, the one who had touched and changed their lives, the one who, whose healing power they had, had witnessed, the one who had spoken the beautiful words, you know, the gentle Nazarene with the fire of God in his eyes, who, when he talked to people, immediately exposed us, exposed people. It was like when the Lord was, the, the gospel is so clear, it didn't matter where someone was coming from. Whenever they got, people got around Jesus, the, the, the raw truth in their hearts was exposed immediately. It was almost like man, woman, rich man, poor man, to use the phrase, beggar man and as we saw last week, thief. Anybody who got near Jesus, something happened. It's like almost pretense was dropped. The powerful, they were affected in the presence of Jesus. The unnoticed, they were affected in the presence of Jesus. The broken, the beautiful, the religious, the non-religious, all were affected in the presence of Jesus. It's like when he talked, he peered through them and saw them as they really were. He saw behind the walls, Jew, Roman, Samaritan, everybody was affected when they were in the presence of Jesus. None really could hide from him, and there was something about the gaze of the Lord that penetrated, and I still think that's true today. I still think when we really get close to Jesus, we get exposed as we really are, and that's okay, that's a good thing. One of the things we know here is that they, were, they had watched him tragically die. Now, we spent a little time talking about that last week, but if I can put it this way, it was not an easy death, if, any de- if we can actually really ever say such a thing, we can say that there are some deaths that are easier than others, I suppose. Jesus' death, uh, the way he died, uh, as we saw last week, so undignified. Um, to be beaten, to be brutalized, to be broken, to be bloodied, as the scripture says, almost to the point where he was beyond recognition. That again, if you had, if the, for those who loved him and had been devoted to him, to witness what was happening to him, to watch it, uh, must have been absolutely devastating. To see him pushed through the streets with blood all over him, uh, and 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 puffed up in his face, uh, the product of multiple beatings, and to where he, in his natural man, could not carry his own cross. He he faltered. He wasn't strong enough to do it, and they had to have pull someone out of the crowd to help him. And you know, again, it had been an, uh, then on top of it to to see him utterly humiliated, stripped down, uh, spit on, uh, violently thrown up on a cross as a worthless criminal to 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 die shamefully, all, essentially naked between you know two petty thieves at the, at the hands of brutal and dispassionate men who gambled at his feet I, for his robe it, it, you know, it had been a nightmare to watch it but the night was done and in fact in literally two nights had passed so friday night on that sabbath fr- sabbath for the for the, the jewish people is still true today was friday evening as it sunset to saturday sunset so evening to evening and during that time there was to be no work done and so they waited until the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, to come and to finish what they felt needed to be done because they wanted to give him honor. If you recall, um, they, the, they wanted to give him a more proper burial. Now, again, some of us know this, some of us don't. But there had been two men who had dared to risk after Jesus was dead what they were never willing to risk when he was alive, two very rich men, powerful men, men who were highly respected leaders, men who were participants in the, in the governing body of Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin, their names we know. One was named Nicodemus and the other Joseph of Arimathea, that they had made a decision that they were going to ask Pilate to let Jesus' dead body be taken down from the cross before the Sabbath began so they could bury him. They were going to do it tenderly, but they needed they, they didn't have a lot of time. And you've got to remember this now, Nicodemus, one of those two men, Nicodemus was the same man who had come secretly in the night, and his, record, his interaction with Jesus is recorded in the third chapter of John. And it's in the third chapter of John, some of us might recognize immediately, it's in that chapter where that great verse, the, the, probably the most quoted verse in all the Bible, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but ever life, everlasting life that that verse was uttered as part of a conversation that Jesus had with this man, this very highly intellectual, respected religious leader who didn't want anybody to know that he was intrigued and interested and compelled by the things that Jesus was saying and and felt a need to discuss it with him, but didn't want to take the risk of letting anybody know about that meeting because it could have cost him with his peers. And so he was very careful. As we know was Joseph. Of Arimathea, who is the owner of the tomb that Jesus is going to be placed into. And we know that both of those men had been reluctant to step forward while Jesus was alive because they were afraid of what it would cost them. And so they had held back like perhaps some of us have felt at times the pressure of an environment where it doesn't seem conducive or in our best interest to perhaps expose our level of love for Christ or admiration of him, and that's not always the case, but in their case, they had chosen to pull back, but it's interesting because it seems like the the death of the Lord, the injustice of it, had caused them to look at one another and say, that's it, what we were not willing to do when he was alive, we, we now will do, and so they took a risk, and they used their power that they had, because they had the ability to access Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Not just anybody could do that, but they had the ability to do it, and so they asked for him to give permission to take the body of Jesus down because if it was left up there, it could have been left hanging and picked by birds. Wild birds are tossed into a pit, eaten by animals and dogs in the night. They didn't want that. They had, they had felt something of a, of a desire to honor him. So they asked for permission. Pilate gave him permission, go ahead and take the body and bury it. You know? So they, what we know is they hurried in a very hurried fashion. They had wrapped Jesus in those cloths the one around the head, and they tenderly, but, not, you know, they didn't do the, what would have been a full burial. They just kind of got him in there before the Sabbath hit so they could stay in alignment with the, the, the Sabbath laws. But the women had come now to finish what they felt needed to be done right. And so they had purchased the proper types of things, the oils and the fragrances, and the, they wanted to, do, to finish it well. It was like their final act of devotion. And I think it's important because they wanted to finish that job. And that brings us to the second verse. It says, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the the sun had risen." Um, That is, as the day starts to emerge and the sun is rising, they had made their way to the tomb. You know, I've always loved this. I've loved this verse. Every time I read it, I've always loved the unintentional wordplay of the text. For indeed, the sun had risen. You can see it. Not only had the sun risen, but the sun had risen. And they had come to honor him. And I think, again, it's important you guys to remember, the the women who were coming on that morning, Sunday morning, that first Sunday morning of the new era, they were not coming to honor a living Jesus. They were coming to honor what they believed, as legitimately so, was, at at least from what they had seen, a, a dead Jesus. It's almost like they said, look, whether or not he was who he said he was. We love him. It's true, he must not have been who we thought, but he was a beautiful, beautiful man and a teacher of God, and he didn't deserve to be treated like this. And so they came to honor him. There was, of that, there was no question. But honestly, they believed, as anyone else would have believed, that, well, clearly, whatever else Jesus was, he wasn't completely what he said because they had watched him die. Now, Look at it, we come to verse 3, and it says they said As they got closer, though, into the garden, uh, they began, perhaps from a distance they saw it or somewhere along the way it dawned on them that there was, they were going to have a problem, that there was actually a large stone that had been rolled by a number of men, and we know that it was also had been sealed, um, that was, gar- was covering the, the entrance to the tomb. They physically did not feel like they were going to be able to move it, so they had a problem. They were. They asked the question. Look what they, they said among themselves. When we, who is going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And again, it was a question they should have asked each other earlier because they were surprised. It seems to 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 see their situation as it was. But verse four it says. But when they actually got there, they looked up. And they saw the stone had already been rolled away, and it was very large. The Bible says. And then entering the tomb, they saw. We're going This is. Uh, uh, an angelic being, but it's described this way. They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and um, in in an understatement, and they were alarmed, all right? But he said to them, do not be alarmed, and it's almost like you seek Jesus of Nazareth, and I love this. It's almost like the Bible is saying the one time you never have to be afraid ever is when you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See, look, the place where they laid him. And again, what I want us to note also there, you may have picked it up, when he interacts with the women, he doesn't say, um, you are seeking Jesus, the king, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus. He says a very interesting phrase that people have noted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what's interesting about that is Nazareth, which was in the Galilee, was the place of Jesus' childhood and the place of his youth. It was where he grew up. But Jesus of Nazareth was a, a title. It was also a title, a designation that had been given to him, not by his friends, but by his opponents and by his enemies. That, that they had given to him that title, Jesus of Nazareth. They had emphasized it as a means of reproach because in that day, we know. In fact, okay, there. if you go to the opening Chapter in the great gospel of John, I mentioned the third chapter with that interview with Nicodemus, but if you go to the first chapter, at the bottom of it, there's this exchange that occurs between two of Jesus' disciples, one whose name is Philip. He's, He's just met Jesus. He's compelled by him. He goes and does what a lot of people do when they really meet Jesus. He looks for his friend, and he goes to his friend whose name is Nathaniel, and he says, listen, I have found the one that we've been looking for. He is the one. The promised one, the one that Moses and the law and the prophets have, have said was coming, I found him." And, and, and Nathaniel, who is revealed to be a man without guile, as Jesus will say, a true, <laughs> a true honest, at, even at times borderline cynic, he says, oh, "Who is he?" And Philip says, "Well, he is Jesus of Nazareth." Now in that case, he, he's using it as a legitimate phrase. And, and Nathaniel says, "Are you serious?" He says, does and then he uses this statement to tell you what he says, does anything good come from Nazareth? That one donkey town, right? That's what he's basically saying. And and you know what, you know what Philip does? He does the he does what everybody should do. He refuses to argue the merits of the of the he, he's almost like he lets it bypass. He says, you know what? I tell you what, rather than have an argument here, you need to come and meet him yourself. Come on. You'll see. And he does. And there's a great interaction that occurs between Jesus and Nathaniel. It's awesome. Jesus exposes his heart. He says, "You, I know you before you even show." Anyway, so it's a great, anyway if we were going there. We talk about that. But, but the point is this: Jesus of Nazareth is a title that was okay. How let's say it. it was a place that was known. Nazareth was known for its corruption, for its vice, for its loose living. In fact, I'll just geographically let's take a look at where it is. You can still see it today. Um, Nazareth, not far from Jerusalem. This, is By the way, if you go up north, that's, that place is exploding in Syria up there. Uh, this is always a center of world interest. Jerusalem, you see the Dead Sea. You see where the Sea of Galilee is. You see Nazareth. In the Galilee, you see Jerusalem. You see the Mediterranean Sea in the center of the world. All the trade routes often flowed this direction. One of the great trade routes of the east flowed down through Nazareth towards Jerusalem. As a result, there was a Roman outpost that was put there. That Roman outpost, as all Roman outposts, all Roman outpost towns had certain issues. It was, it, it, there were a lot of things happening. We think of Jesus as being sort of, um, you know, set apart from an urban environment uh, in, the, in the more serene pastoral, uh, at, you know, environment of the hills of Galilee. It's true. There was a part, part of him that was there, but there was also part of him that had been exposed to the ugliness of humanity and to the trafficking of humanity, and to all the things that go along with a kind of environment like that. He had witnessed firsthand all those things. And people knew, but the reputation of the town was, it's just not a good place. And so, I, how can I put it? When Jesus' critics referred to Jesus of Nazareth, it was, it was said with kind of a, a spiteful glee. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And almost like they were saying, um, teacher, we put you in your place. That's where you're from. It was designed to put him down. And you know what's fascinating to me? Uh, (laughs) Jesus didn't seem to mind. They meant it as an insult. He didn't mind the designation. And in fact, it's used here at the opening of his resurrection moment. That's what is used, and I think that's fantastic. Not just because, well, that's where he was from, but also because I think it says something more. I think because Jesus was a friend of sinners, and uh, he didn't come just to heal only good good people. He he uh, he was willing to to interact with anyone who recognized their need and their lostness. And if I if you can hear me on this this thought here, in in that regard. The good and the advantage, listen, were often at a disadvantage in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because their personal goodness oftentimes blinded them to their need, as it still does. That's why it was no exaggeration for Jesus to say, essentially, blessed. He said, listen, blessed are, he said it, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the downtrodden, the afflicted, and the oppressed. For yours is the kingdom. What he was saying was, was you in your brokenness have have less that keeps you from being open. But oftentimes it was the good and the prosperous who were able to to cover their needs that had the most difficulty receiving the goodness of Jesus' message. In other words, Sometimes when we have little, we are open. And sometimes when we have much, we can sort of insulate ourselves from the reality of our true need. And so Jesus truly said it. He meant it when he said, blessed are you. Even there, God, is, God maybe even more or so can meet us. That's why sometimes brokenness is a gift. Now, having said that, just hear me out. It must be also acknowledged that it was two wealthy leaders who were able to gain access to Pilate. And so we shouldn't minimize that either. It wasn't like Jesus said, okay, you guys don't have any chance. But what he was saying was, remember what the world calls a blessing, what most of us would acknowledge as a privilege and something that we pursue can be a disadvantage if it blocks the ability of our hearts to open up to the goodness of Jesus. Now, I say that because we know that at least one of those women approaching that Sunday morning had been one of those broken, oppressed people. Um, who had qualified truly as a tormented outsider. Not everybody who followed Jesus was, but she was. Mary of Magdala, there's no question that the one of those women that is named there had had her life radically altered at a point of absolute brokenness by the, the touch of Jesus' hand in her life And it had changed her and altered her life path to such a degree that there was no question of her devotion. She was one of those who made their way that morning to honor him. And then the angels went on to say this. Here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 7. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. And so look what it says. They went out quickly, they fled from the tomb, and they trembled, and they were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone. Why? Here it is, because they were afraid. They were afraid. Notice a couple things here that stand out. Maybe you see it as well. One of the things is pretty clear: the Christian faith, the faith, the, ours is a telling faith. Go and tell. There's no question. Yes, it is to be lived out, but it is also a speaking faith. It is designed to not be either or, but both and. It's something that we can't be ashamed to talk about Jesus. Go and tell. One of the first things that they were told, one of the first commands given, in a way, out of the resurrection moment was, share this good news. And then notice what else is mentioned. And specifically, they're told, go find the disciples. And then, interesting, it stands out. And make sure you tell Peter. Why? Why? Because he, of all people, needed to know. He was, remember at this moment, he was an absolutely broken man, a shell of his former self, a man stripped of his bravado, of his self-confidence, a denier, a man who had wilted under pressure. When your supreme virtue is loyalty and you break at the level that you think is your strongest quality, you can hit the bottom quick. And we know one thing, he had failed miserably. In fact, some people believe that if it wasn't for his coming to John or John coming to him, that Peter would have possibly walked the same path that Judas walked and taken his life. Such was his level of despair. Now, that's pure conjecture, but one thing we know is that the the shame that he would wear like a scarlet letter, that was going to be pure reality. Now, that brings us to, to our interaction with this word. I want to just in these minutes that we have that are left put a couple of things on the board for us to interact with. And firstly, I want to put this, say this about fear, and have how fear plays into what we've just read. Do we notice number one how fear can keep us from? And I'm going to put this in, in in you know just sort of quotation telling. Remember, go and tell. Think about it. Uh, it look at verse eight again. It says that they they said nothing to anyone. Why? because they were afraid. Even after being told to go share this good news, their fear kept them from sharing. And I think, wow, you know, as followers of Jesus, those of us who have made a decision to follow Christ, some of us have been following him for a while, some of us, it's just been a very, honestly, it's just been, we've just been doing it for a little bit. Others of us, we're really close. We're maybe not even there yet, but we're really close. And, and here's the thing, whenever we make a decision to follow Jesus, we have been given with that a calling to share this good news with others. We cannot separate that aspect of a faith that is the Lord says, if you're going to love me, you need to be open to t- you have to be open to talking about me. Now we were we were having this conversation last evening around the table after after the Saturday Saturday night service, and one of the ways I think in this some people say, well, I'm not really good at talking. So yep, yeah, but but sometimes you can you can type some stuff up, right, and post it up there once in a while. Well, that's a, I can't do that. Yeah, 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 you can. You can. Oh, you would be amazed at what people put up. <laughs> Why can't we talk about Jesus? What are we afraid of? Well, I, it's my, my, I don't want people to, to sort of look at how I'm living. Well, that could have some merit but then that should be an incentive to to maybe make some adjustments. But the bottom line is this: it's not about perfection. If it was about perfection, and I get it, we don't want to stumble people. There's no question that people are really damaged by so-called people who say they love the Lord but are modeling something completely different. I get that, but it's not about perfection. If it's about perfection, then then none of us will ever talk. It's honestly, we are called, if if we say we love Jesus, we have to be open to talking about him. And we actually have to be more than open. Here's what I'm suggesting. We have to pray for courage to look for opportunities to share this good news. It may be with people we love. I've had a real opportunity to, to share this good news um, with some people I love. And it's been a number of years, and now I'm watching them come to a point of, of openness that hadn't been there. It's very exciting to me. I was getting my hair cut and I had an interaction with someone who was cutting that hair. And one of the things that came up was that it shared something very personal. And I said, you know what? Let's pray right now. And there was nobody else there. We just, I just, we just pray. I prayed for, not like, you said, well, you're a, you're a pa-. you know what, I'm for, before I'm ever a pastor, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's the first thing I am. Someone who's made a decision like everybody else to surrender my life to Jesus. We are given the opportunity to represent the Lord's heart. We don't do it perfectly. We may have our own issues. Yes, that's true. But this is good news, and it's worth telling. And may the Lord not allow us to be dominated by fear. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about getting in people's face. I'm not talking about being self-righteous. I'm talking about, though, a humble telling of the good news, of the reality of Jesus and the difference he's making in our lives, and saying that, um, you know, this is who I am. I am not ashamed of that relationship. I love him, and he loves me. See, this is, this is and, and you know what? Again, they, wouldn't, they didn't tell because they were afraid. Now, something else stood out to me here is that there are going to be times when fear will come upon us, number two, because of an overwhelming sense of our own weakness, and I get that. I really do. And I think sometimes we may feel like, well, I'm not qualified, but I'm going to point this out. I'm not really talking about Peter here. I'm talking about the women who came to the tomb and when they realized that they were unprepared for the obstacle that was in front of them. And I, you know what, I was looking at that passage and I was thinking about, one of the things that it reminds me of is just like in life. We, you know, they, we can, and we can hear the anxiety in their words. When they actually get there, they go, well, who's gonna move a stone? And it, it's almost like there are these times in life where part of us goes, I, I should have seen that coming. How could I have missed that? It's right there. What was I thinking? I didn't see that, those those moments in our lives where it's like we find ourselves in a situation and we don't know what we're going to do, but part of us is mad at ourselves because, well, we did all this and and then yet I missed this. Obviously, I I have to address this issue. And now I've got a situation where um, it looks looks like I'm going to need help and I don't have the resource to do it. And those places in life can be pretty scary. They can shake us because we sense... Our own inadequacy. We sense our weakness. Um, we wonder if in the face of what seems so imposing, you know, how am I going to do this? And there are these times in our lives where we get to these, these places where we say, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And, and it's, it's, if you're like me, you've had these moments where fear and worry are starting to just take over. And, and, and you start to, the challenge is not to yield to that. It might be a fear of something that's health related. It might be a fear of like, well, Here's where things are going, and what if this happens, and I'm not prepared for it? Might be a fear of something that's happening in the workplace. We feel like now I'm vulnerable. I should have thought about it, or why didn't I think about this ahead of time? Might um, have to do with a relational stone that's sitting in, 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 in blocking, and we're going, man, I should have seen this coming, but I didn't. Might have to do with an internal struggle where we get to it and go, boy, I need to. Do a, I should have addressed this while back. These places where we find ourselves, And you know what? There's a phrase that is often used colloquially. You know, um, where we say somebody is uh, worried sick. And I was thinking about that. There, worry and fear can actually affect us physically. We know it does mentally. But a lot of times... You know, I was thinking about how, how when we begin to just take on fear into our lives and we begin to imagine what something is going to be and how we don't have the ability to get through it I've witnessed some people, some men uh, in my life, I've watched them when, when they got afraid, and i said this before, but they, they got, they, they got, they showed, their fear showed up in, in physical anger, but it was fear. I've watched other people who, when we get afraid, we, we then kind of pull the plug and just become reckless. Others close in and won't share. We just tighten up our world. We get really careful and we we begin to to, to just close down. Others of us, you know, we have other ways of of working through our fear. Some of it just just seeps in. And, and, you know, sometimes it's really hard to stay positive and optimistic when we've got a stone sitting in front of us. And we're going, how am I going to deal with this? I should have seen it. What was I thinking? And, you know, and part of us, (laughs) and what I love about this one is there are times where we come expecting the worst and the stone's already been rolled away. And it's like, almost like we say God has anticipated this dilemma of mine and he made a way for me. Now, there are other times, let's be honest, where we come and the stone's there and we're going, what am I going to do? And you know what? There's grace for that too. Not every stone is rolled away, let's be honest. But God gives us his grace, his blessing. But I am talking about those moments where we came expecting a stone and what we got was an angel instead. I love that. You know, um, those moments where we go, wow, God was amazingly gracious to me in this moment. It's undeserved blessing. And, you know, in those moments in life, I'm talking about those moments in life when we know we have been visited from heaven because the stone has been rolled away. And and those moments will will be surprised. You know, a life that is lived with the vibrant living God will experience vibrant living things. And I'll take it one step further, and this is the last but not least moment. The, The ultimate reason to live life unafraid so basic and so true, but it's because Jesus is alive. The human equation has been changed forever. What has been is no more forever. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's been swallowed up by Jesus. Because of Jesus, there is hope beyond this, uh, and this is how I'm going to describe it, beyond this broken but beautiful and sometimes stunningly unfair um, and brief, relatively speaking, life of ours. That there, there is a, a living hope here. My daughter was sharing with me an interaction she had with someone who has said, well, I don't believe in God. And the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That we, if we live that way, we live already with death. And, but to those who will open their hearts to Jesus, there is, a re, there is an opportunity of life, not just life to come. Which, by the way, it was Victor Hugo who said, because of Jesus, the grave is not a blind alley, but a thoroughfare. It's not the end, it's not an end box, it's an opening to a new thing. You see the difference Jesus makes? The same stone that was, could not hold Jesus is, it's like the stone of death has been moved away and, and there is the possibility of life. We are invited to participate in that life but it's not just a life of what is to come, and that's becoming more value to, valuable to me as the years go by. Sometimes when you're young, grr, <laughs> it's like the verse that says, David said, I've been young, but now I'm old. Um, I feel like I've been young, but now I'm older. I don't, wanna, I don't know what that is anymore, because I know this, that you start thinking differently as the years go by, and a lot of times, the illusion of youth is that it will always be. Jesus reminds us always, as I mentioned, to keep one eye on where we're ultimately going as a way of informing our present, right? But as valuable as the promise of eternal life is, of life beyond the grave because of Jesus, there's also the promise of his presence that I so deeply value. And it means that we can have life in this life. We welcome him into our places of where death is. And we say, Lord, will you roll the stone away? Even as that stone was rolled away, not (laughs) <laughs> not to show that you weren't there anymore, not to let you out, but to reveal that you were, in a, yes, gone. And in a way, the Lord has life to give for us. And so a lot of what we're doing here is talking about our, our desire to not allow fear to dominate our lives because we have a, a, a life at work in us that is stronger even than death. And so wherever death has been, the life of God can come. And so as we, you know, as we close out, we're gonna have a song, it's connected to it, but I also, I'm going to pray. But as we pray, I'm going to invite, no one has to do this. This is something I'm going to do. And you're welcome to do it with me. If there is something, because one of the things I'll do is every now and then, I, when I'm feeling a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, or it's, and I'm bringing it on myself, or I'm afraid of something, and I can feel myself getting tight, because maybe I'm not seeing things correctly. I'm not really trusting God. But I just, I just open my hands to him, and I'll just say, Lord, I just, you know, just want to give you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this, and my open hands are saying it. And then my hands that are open, Lord, are also saying I'm open to receive. So I'm giving something to you, and I'm also open to receive. And so as we pray, if, if there's something that's, that's there, you, know, you just want to well, put your hands before the Lord. But I want to pray even now. Lord, I, you know, we want to be open. We want to give to you, Lord, the things that would make us afraid. There perhaps are areas in our life, Lord. Sometimes the, the areas that are, are, are hardest for us are those, those scripts that we've been writing for a number of years, our ways of being that we habitually fall into that disappoint us after the fact. Whatever it is, Lord, I have a, be a relational stone that's becoming a huge block, but we're afraid of things. Lord, we just want to surrender our fears to you more than a technique, but an openness to the living God. And we want to be open to receiving your grace for this hour. Help us, Lord. We don't get it right all the time. Thank goodness that this prayer is not preconditioned on us being perfect. It's just just an opportunity to let go and to trust you. And so as we close this time out, uh, we pray that your, your blessing would be upon us as we have our time of giving. But as we have this final song, let it be a a benediction for us, a good word that we carry in to this week because this is how we live our lives and we welcome you, Lord Jesus, living Savior, into this life. We ask this in your name. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.